From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Bigham with you on this Wednesday, July 26, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China wants to work with other members of the BRICS group to address global security challenges and tackle other issues. Typhoon Doxuris killed at least one person in the Philippines and continues to batter the country. And China's marking the 70th anniversary of the armistice that ended fighting in the Korean War. In business, the IMF has raised its growth prediction for global growth. In sports, um, uh, Spain advanced, or Japan and Spain advanced the round of 16 at the Women's World Cup in culture and entertainment. The mascot of the World University Games in Chengdu celebrates Chinese culture. Now the day's top stories. A senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi says China is willing to work with other BRICS countries to expand the group's framework, advocate multilateralism, and promote regional and world peace. Uh, Wang met uh, South Africa's Minister of the Presidency and said that China will encourage its enterprises to invest in South Africa. He also said China is ready to work with South Africa and other African countries on the Agenda 2063 to inject a new impetus into a China-Africa community with a shared future. At a BRICS security advisors meeting in Johannesburg, Wang Yi called for joint efforts to address global security challenges. Sumitra Naidu has more. South Africa's minister in the presidency hosted a Friends of BRICS national security uh, advisors meeting with her BRICS security counterparts. Now, the NSA meeting concluded with calls for more collaboration on security, fighting terrorism, uh, peace protocols, and for unity. Ministers spoke of importance uh, of the importance of multilateralism and the threats of moving away from global cooperation on various issues of economic trade, climate, and security. 
Security. China's senior diplomat Wang Yi spoke about establishing a fair and reasonable cyberspace, the importance of collaboration and the proposition of building an open and inclusive cyberspace, dismissing the notion of the internet being a battlefield for engaging in a digital iron curtain. He also proposed opposing any form of scientific or cyber hegemony. He said that this should be a tool for global cooperation rather than conflict. He said cybersecurity is a major cornerstone of national security and urged developing countries to resolutely resist an arms race in cyberspace. That was Sumitra Naidu in Johannesburg. Leaders from African countries are attending a summit with Russia in St. Petersburg. Russia is accusing Western countries such as the United States and France of pressuring the leaders not to go. In the meantime, Russia says it'll not return to the Black Sea grain deal until its demands are met. And uh, efforts from the United Nations have not yielded results that Moscow's desired. Dasha Chernyshova reports. The Kremlin says Western countries do not accept the sovereign right of African states to independently determine their partners. The Kremlin said the Russian president plans to meet every leader attending the event. More than 40 African leaders gathered for the last summit in 2019. Meanwhile, the Kremlin insists it cannot return to the Black Sea grain deal until Russia's interests are honored. And Moscow says a recent proposal by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres failed to address that. Russian Security Council Secretary Nikolai Patrushev said on Tuesday that sanctions against Moscow threatened catastrophic consequences for the global food market. He urged the removal of what he called the West's illegitimate obstacles to Russian business. In other news, the Russian lawmakers approved legislation that raises the maximum age at which men can be conscripted from 27 to 30. It means that starting next January, men 18 to 30 will be subjected to compulsory one-year military service. That was Dasha Chernyshova with the latest from Moscow. Uh, Russia says discussions on Moscow's grain and fertilizer exports is on the agenda at the Russia-Africa summit. It's hoping to ship the products to Africa and strengthen cooperation with the continent. Isabel Nakiriep has more from Moscow. The second Russia-Africa summit is expected to discuss ways and means of how Moscow can push bigger volumes of exports to Africa. Russian President Vladimir Putin says Africa will not go hungry and commits to sending food both on a commercial and free-of-charge basis. The volume of grain that the poorest countries received, and I repeat, this is a little over 3%, we will be ready to deliver to the poorest countries free of charge. Global food prices have escalated due to the conflict in Ukraine. The collapse of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, which allowed Ukraine grain to be exported out, has worsened the situation. With a bumper harvest expected this year, Russia says it's able to replace all the grain coming from Ukraine. But it accuses the West of limiting its capacity to supply the poorer nations by not meeting its demands. Russia says restrictions have made it harder for its traders to process Russian payments or obtain vessels and insurance. But the summit brings hope with support from African leaders to ease existing tensions. The new possibilities for Russia to break the situation concerning the sanctions and grain is a very important item which can be included into this 
new agreements. The UN World Food Programme warns millions are going hungry in the Horn of Africa. But experts argue that Africa should be able to strengthen its food systems and stop relying on relief support. 65% of our land is arable. Our farmers are able to produce what is required, what we are importing. We have enormous substitutes for those products we import from the rest of the world, but we've been, we've been frustrating our smallholder farmers in terms of market access requirement, in terms of not providing the right uh, inputs, including seeds and fertilizers. The summit at St. Petersburg could be an opportunity for trade to grow between Africa and Russia. That was Isabel Nakiri at reporting. The European Union says it's ready to export almost all of Ukraine's farm produce and to help cover costs. It'll do so via solidarity lanes that were established through rail and road transport connections through EU member states that border Ukraine. The European Commissioner for uh, Agriculture says the EU is very worried but not surprised about Russia's refusal to renew the Black Sea grain deal. Uh, Yanis Wojciechowski uh, commented on trade while meeting with EU agriculture ministers. In 21, the European Union exported to Ukraine agri-food products. The value of export was about 3 billion euro, but import about the 7 billion the next year, 2022, export was almost the same, about the four, uh, 3 billion euro, but import 13 billion euro. 13, the increase of import uh, was 6 billion euro, but uh, almost 5 of billion, it was increased of import directly to these five frontline member states. Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, uh, Romania and Slovakia. Countries bordering Ukraine are seeking to protect prices for their farmers. The collapse of the deal leaves routes by river, road and rail through Europe as the only ways for Ukraine, a major global supplier of wheat, corn and vegetable oil, to export its products. Coming up, southern China's bracing for more typhoon winds and rains this week. July 27th marks the 70th anniversary of the victory of the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea. Why did China have to fight a war against the world's most powerful country just months after the People's Republic was founded? How were the poorly equipped Chinese soldiers able to compel the U.S. to sign an armistice agreement? Seventy years later, Deep Dive is revisiting the war on the Korean Peninsula. Available on all your favorite podcast platforms. Just search for Deep Dive. Ten minutes past the hour. A typhoon dog series killed at least one person in the Philippines as it continues to batter the country with rain and strong winds. Authorities say the victim drowned in a flood east of Metro Manila. At least two others uh, are injured in uh, typhoon-related incidents in other regions. Dogsuri has displaced nearly 9,000 people across the Philippines and stranded thousands more. Gretchen Malalat has more from Manila. 
Super Typhoon Duxuri was downgraded to a typhoon category by the Weather Bureau early morning as it made landfall on the northern tip of Luzon Island. But even with the downgrade, Typhoon Duxuri still brings violent conditions according to the Weather Bureau. Signal number four and five level from the five level weather system is up in several provinces here in Manila where signal number one is hoisted. It has been raining, several roads are flooded knee deep. We have also been experiencing strong winds and several trees around the metro have been uprooted. As of this time, the typhoon is plummeting through the province of Cagayan. Thousands of residents there are evacuation centers. Power is out in some parts of the province and the local disaster unit of Cagayan province are now clearing uprooted trees along the highway. The government has been busy evacuating people in low-lying and coastal areas and many rivers have overflown because of heavy rains and now rescue operations are being conducted by the Philippine Coast Guard. They are evacuating residents living in towns that have been inundated with water up to chest deep. The government has also set up hundreds of evacuation centers. They have set up portable tents and they are providing thousands of families with food and shelter. And that was Gretchen Malalad on the Philippines' response to Typhoon Dok Suri. The typhoon's making its way toward China and could land in the, the southern and eastern parts of the country later this week. China's renewed an alert for gales and heavy rainfall. Parts of Europe are also threatened by extreme weather. Storms have killed two people in northern Italy as the southern part of the country bakes under a heat wave that sparked wildfires. A mountain specialist and an Air Force helicopter have rescued 15 people isolated by fires in Sicily. French authorities say nearly 100 firefighters battled a blaze near the Nice International Airport, and the flames in Portugal are quickly spreading to neighborhoods just outside of Lisbon. In Greece, the wildfires on three islands have killed three people people, including two firefighters whose plane crashed. Authorities have detained two people on the island of Rhodes on suspicion of arson. Evangelo Sipsis has more. There's a number of helicopters, even military helicopters are above our heads, putting down, uh, throwing water on the fire behind me, trying to put it out. But unfortunately, these high winds are uh, fanning the, uh, the resurgence of the fire, and it's just creating a larger fire front. We're talking about a front right now that is close to 10 kilometers. Well, two people have been taken into custody here on the island of Rhodes, two people that are not, uh, don't have a Greek passport. They are foreigners. They were seen wandering around in a forest area with gasoline in bottles in their backpacks. They're apprehended by locals, then given to the authorities. They are in, in custody right now, being questioned by the authorities. Uh, they're trying to figure out whether they're the ones who have perhaps put one of these wildfires that are breaking out on the island. But also on the island of Corfu, the mayor of Corfu, but also the Civil Protection Unit has said that they're most definitely 100% actually sure that the fire that is burning through the northern part is uh, an arson. Just to give you the how uh, important that is, and the, even the Prime Minister was uh, discussing about it, saying that the country is at war, in quotations, at war. And uh, the anti-terror unit is even on the ground in Corfu investigating and questioning people about the wildfire. That was Evangelos Sipsis on the severity of the wildfires in Greece. United Nations chief says an international team has begun siphoning oil out of a decrepit oil tanker off the coast of Yemen. It's a crucial step in a complex salvage operation aiming to prevent a potential environmental disaster. While many organizations have warned that the neglected vessel known as the SOF Safer may cause a, a major oil spill or even explode. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres says workers are transferring more than 1.1 million barrels of oil stored in the rusting tanker to another vessel that the UN purchased.
the United Nations has begun an operation to defuse what might be the world's largest ticking time bomb. A complex maritime salvage effort is now underway in the Red Sea off the coast of war-torn Yemen to transfer 1 million barrels of oil from the decaying FSO Safer to a replacement vessel. In the absence of anyone else willing or able to perform this task, the United Nations stepped up and assumed the risk to conduct this very delicate operation. The oil transfer um, uh, came after months of on-site preparatory work and is scheduled to be completed in less than three weeks. The tanker was built in the 1970s and sold to the Yemeni government in the 1980s. It was used to store up to three million barrels of export oil pumped from fields in a province in eastern Yemen. It is moored six kilometers from Yemen's Red Sea port of Hadeda and a strategic area controlled by the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. The vessel has not been maintained for eight years, making it at risk of breaking up or even exploding. Comms returned outside of uh, Israel's legislature after a mass protest. Demonstrators clashed with police over government reforms to the judicia- uh, judicial system. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has called the vote a necessary move, but protesters disagree and have vowed to keep on fighting. Stephanie Freed reports from Tel Aviv. Relative calm in Israel after a night of chaos. Following a historic, unprecedented vote by Benjamin Netanyahu's government, a vote essentially giving the government more power, taking that power away from the country's courts. Those unprecedented scenes of chaos where protesters by the thousands nationwide took to the streets, clashing with police who used water cannons against them. And these clashes lasted well into the night. The quiet now, they some say, is both sides, all sides, regrouping. The protesters say they're regrouping, trying to figure out what is their next strategy moving forward. The opposition as well, looking at their strategy. For his part, or for the part of the Netanyahu government, the ministers in his government promise there will be more laws like the one that passed. Um, How do the protesters respond to that? They're saying they're not going to quit. That was Stephanie Freed reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour coming up, marking 70 years since the end of the Korean War. Chengdu, a city known for its buzzing nightlife and giant pandas, as well as being a famous foodie destination, is the host city for the 31st Summer World University Games. Athletes from over 80 countries and regions will be competing in 18 sports to fight for a chance to stand on the podium. Who are the star players? What are the highlights of the day's matches? And which team leads the medal table? Tuning to the Beijing Hour on CGTN Radio will bring you the latest news, highlights and previews during this year's Summer World University Games in Chengdu. 17 minutes past the hour. July 27th marks 70 years since the signing of the Armistice Agreement ending the war on the Korean Peninsula. The Chinese Volunteer Army helped fight against U.S.-led forces in the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea. Jung Saran visited a school near the border where the legacy of China's heroes lives on. Here in Kwandian County, a town on the border between China and the Democratic People's Republic of Korea, a school was established in 2003 to honor Chairman Mao Zedong's eldest son, Mao Anying, who was killed in action during the war to resist U.S. aggression and aid Korea. 
Students attend from kindergarten to elementary school, and all the classrooms are named after martyrs. Here is where Mao Anying left his last footprints on his motherland, before crossing the river to Korean Peninsula. His last footprints on his motherland before crossing the river to Korean Peninsula. In 2005, Mao Anying's memorial hall was established on campus. More than 300,000 people have visited to date. Every year, we invited veterans of the Chinese People's Volunteer Army as guest speakers for the students. We also commemorate special days like Mao Anying's birthday with different events. The children should remember history and cherish today's happiness. Tan Jiahua has been the school's headmistress since March, and is dedicated to making education about history and peace accessible to more students. All the students here can tell the stories of Mao Anying. Each and every one of them can be a tour guide at the memorial hall. We plan to expand and renovate the memorial hall with more exhibits. We also welcome students from all the other schools to come and visit for their patriotic education. At the memorial hall, we meet Yu Xintong, a fifth grader and a veteran tour guide. What impressed me the most is the story of young Mao Anying in Shanghai. He was already penniless, but he rather starved to save up to buy a dictionary, which helped him to study. Inspired by the spirit, I'm determined to try my best at everything, to study hard, to be independent, and to respect the elders. The children are carrying on the spirit of heroes with concrete actions. Although they have never experienced war, the seeds of fighting for greater good have taken root in their hearts. It's hoped that they will grow up to be tomorrow's guardians of peace. That was Zhang Siren reporting. In China, many universities are encouraging students to join sports teams and take part in tournaments of different levels. These university-level teams are playing an increasingly important role in boosting the development of the Chinese sports industry. Tian Yu has more. Many Chinese universities have placed greater emphasis on athletic development in recent years, striving to build a culture of sports. Chen Yunan is a student from Guangdong Vocational Institute of Sport. She had been practicing swimming since primary school for over seven years, but stopped it after entering middle school. After becoming a university student, she decided to pick up her interest in swimming and got selected for the swimming team organized by the school. In last year's Guangdong University Games, she managed to achieve the third place in 4x200 meters freestyle relay and the sixth place in 50 meters freestyle stroke. This year, she achieved better results on the Guangdong Swimming Tournament. She said being able to joining the university's swimming team and taking these competitions made her more confident about herself and encouraged her to practice more in swimming. Taking these tournaments made me more confident. I didn't hold high expectations for the result before taking part in last year's tournament because I hadn't been practicing swimming for many years and didn't have much time for training. But what I achieved really surprised me. It was a proof of my efforts and practices and gave me a lot of confidence. And I achieved better results in the following competitions. So I learned that we should never quit before giving it a try and not lose hope for anything we do. Apart from Chen, Zhang Ziqian with South China Agricultural University also took part in last year's Guangdong University Games.
He's a postgraduate student in biomedicine, and he joined in the school's table tennis team after entering college. In last year's tournament, he won the third place in mixed doubles together with his teammates. He talked about the difficulties that he had when preparing for the competitions. At that time, as our teammates were all busy preparing for the exams and taking classes, we couldn't arrange a specific time slot for us to take practices together. After having a discussion, we decided to spend our lunch break to take trainings together to make sure that we could have enough time for practice. We didn't set a big goal before the tournament, but as we gradually advanced, we were really amazed at how much we could achieve. I think the results were really a testament to my love and passion for ping pong, and also a big contributor to my self-confidence, not only in the sport but also in my daily life. About the upcoming Chengdu World University Games, he hopes more university students could be interested in and play ping pong themselves through watching table tennis games during the event. For the Beijing Hour, this is Tian Yu. Today, in our series from Qinghai, we take a look at how Highlanders in the northwestern province find ways to make agriculture thrive despite unfavorable natural conditions. A lack of fresh fruit and vegetables used to plague China's highlands in the northwest throughout the year. A one town in Qinghai province managed to get around that problem as local authorities continue to deepen rural revitalization efforts. Wang Zihang has more. Perched high on the Qinghai Sizang Plateau, Zongjai Township of Chengzhong District used to be a rural backwater. Despite its proximity to the provincial capital, fresh fruit and vegetables were hard to come by. The harsh highland climate makes the growing season significantly shorter than the national average, resulting in the land being unproductive for most of the year. Things started to change in 2012 when vegetable greenhouses were introduced into the township. They have since flourished across the rural landscape, totaling over 700 at last count. Spinach, bok choy, cucumbers, and several other varieties that formerly had to be brought in from other places can now grow locally all year round. The greenhouse-produced cherry tomatoes, in particular, are especially loved by local connoisseurs for their unusual sweetness. Grower Jing Lu De explains. Daily temperatures here vary notably. During the day, it's mostly nice and warm with long hours of sunshine. But as soon as the sun goes down, it quickly turns cold. These conditions are ideal for growing cherry tomatoes. Also, we use little pesticide. Plus, the fertilizers are nearly all organic, made primarily from animal waste. Not only have these greenhouses provided local markets with a cornucopia of fresh farm produce throughout the year, they also offer an alternative source of income and employment for rural residents. Over 300 local farmers have swapped jobs in the city for work closer to home. Local Agricultural Bureau Deputy Chief Tao Li Li says these greenhouses have encouraged more villagers to stay. Songjai Township is close to Xining. Our farmers used to opt for work in the city. Now, since we've got these vegetable greenhouses, many have returned. A farmer can make a yearly wage of up to forty thousand yuan by working in one of them. These vegetable cultivation facilities have also offered city dwellers a rare window into local country life. 
For those who crave some hands-on experience, they can pay a token fee for picking fruit and veg and bring them home at any time. Last year alone, we raked in over 100,000 yuan from inviting city people to come picking fruit and veg. What's more, many who did come absolutely loved it here and decided to spend a night or two in the guest houses run by our local farmers. This part alone brought us around 1 million yuan in 2022. Zhongjai Township is now dreaming big. It plans to add more greenhouses by reclaiming the nearby wasteland over the next few years. Locals are confident that their once backward hometown will one day become a fine example of ecological agriculture and rural tourism. For the Beijing Hour, this is Wang Zihang. In the next episode, we invite you to join us for a story on upgrading infrastructure in rural areas, starting with the toilet revolution. A French zoo has bid farewell to the first panda born in France before his departure for China. French First Lady Brigitte Macron is Yuan Meng's godmother. She said goodbye to the bear before his departure for Chengdu in southwest China. I watched him grow and I took my grandchildren to see him. He likes to eat, he likes to sleep, and he's very social. He has both a Chinese side and a French side which you will see in the future. I'm going to constantly check on the updates of Yuan Meng with Director Rodolf, and I will visit him in Chengdu. I'm sure he will be happy to go back to China, but he will never forget friends. I'm pretty sure about that. Well, Yuan Meng was born in 2017. He's been living in the Beauval Zoo in southern Paris. The panda's parents at the zoo are on a 10-year loan from China. Chinese research icebreaker equipped with advanced experimental equipment will help guarantee accurate measurements during its Arctic expedition. Shuilong 2, or Snow Dragon 2, has reached the Arctic Circle for the expedition. The mission is expected to last through late September and cover a voyage of 15,500 nautical miles. can carry over 100 researchers and crew members as well as a helicopter. At 54 past, or uh, rather at uh, 28 past the hour, and uh, Beijing's at 25 overnight. Tomorrow we'll see thunder showers and high of 32. Chongqing's 26 this evening, heavy rainfall and 30 tomorrow. Last is down to 12 degrees, then a slight rainfall and 21. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening. It'll see showers and uh, 34 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 tonight, sunny and 35 on Thursday. Islamabad will get a slight rainfall and 24 overnight. That rain continues in a high of 33. Bangkok's at 26 tonight, then a slight rain and 34 degrees on Thursday. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China wants to work with other members of the BRICS group to address global security challenges and tackle other issues. A typhoon Doxuri has killed at least one person in the Philippines and continues to batter the country. And China's marking the 70th anniversary of the armistice that ended fighting in the Korean War. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. 
This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Wednesday. Still to come. In business, the IMF has raised its growth predictions for global growth. In sports, uh, Japan and Spain advanced to the round of 16 at the Women's World Cup. In culture and entertainment, the mascot of the World University Games in Chengdu celebrates Chinese culture. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn or follow our Twitter account at CGTN Radio. Now, a check of the day's headline news. Representatives from BRICS countries have agreed to support multilateralism, oppose unilateral sanctions, and jointly combat terrorism, extremism, and transnational crime. They attended a BRICS security advisors meeting in South Africa and vowed to jointly address global challenges such as cybersecurity, food security, and climate change. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi called for joint efforts to address global security challenges. While in Johannesburg, he also made a number of proposals to boost cooperation among the global south. The proposals included resolving conflicts and promoting peace by developing a security concept, encouraging development by putting it at the center of the international agenda, and promoting open and inclusive progress. China says it'll take uh, the necessary measures to protect its own cybersecurity. A foreign ministry spokesperson condemned the attack on the earthquake monitoring center of Wuhan's Municipal Emergency Management Bureau. The center says somebody implanted backdoor programs on some of its network equipment. Preliminary investigation indicates that this incident is a cyber attack launched uh, by overseas hackers and government or, or with government backgrounds. Fires raging through forests, mountain villages, and towns in northern Algeria have left at least 34 people dead. Authorities say the majority of the blazes, which started on Sunday, are out. But the horrors of the past few days are just emerging. Locals in the coastal region of Bajaya sit in shock outside their homes and businesses. An eight-year-old told us that he had never seen a fire like this one in his life. We received a call to warn us from Toya, and just in time we got out. The fire was already here. The people who were in these cars wanted to escape and get closer to the beach to find some fresher air, but unfortunately they were overtaken by the flames. But we do not know the exact circumstances. The defense ministry says among those killed in hard-hit Bajaya were 10 soldiers encircled by flames during an evacuation. More than 8,000 firefighters helped to bring the flames under control. The local governments dispatched medical teams and mental health support to aid the traumatized residents. China's bracing for the impacts of Typhoon Doksuri, which is currently battering the Philippines. China's upgraded its typhoon warning to the highest level. Fujian province has urged fishing boats to seek shelter before the typhoon makes landfall later this week. Officials predict Doksuri to be the most powerful typhoon so far to hit China during this year's storm season. It's caused at least one death in the Philippines and displaced thousands. Ecuador has announced a state of emergency in all of its prisons. The move comes after a wave of violence over the weekend that killed more than 30 people. Uh, Juan Zapata is the interior minister. The armed forces and national police have conducted their work very professionally because we faced no resistance upon entering the prison, even with controlled detonations, so citizens can be calmed. The armed forces and national police used the detonations only during their entry, 
because the doors were reinforced. Well, the measure is uh, the second state of emergency that uh, President Guillermo Lasso has ordered in less than 24 hours. It'll be in effect for 60 days and orders the immediate mobilization of the military and police in an effort to regain control of the prisons. Lasso signed a decree establishing a similar state of emergency in the provinces of Los Rios and Manabi after the shooting of the mayor of the city of Manta. Russia has hosted a trilateral meeting to discuss a peace deal between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov says Moscow is ready to help with its good relations with the two countries. Armenian and Azerbaijani ministers declared their readiness for discussions. The Asian neighbors have been at odds over the Nagorno-Karabakh region for decades. The first panda born in France in 2017 has left Beauval Zoo south of Paris. Zoo director uh, Rodolphe Delors says, uh, or has described the parting moment as heartbreaking. It's an emotional moment, and of course it's heartbreaking to see the first baby panda to be born at Beauval go back to China. But it was planned. He was already due to leave two years ago, but this was postponed because of COVID. But just imagine he weighed 142 grams when he was born and now weighs 120 kilos. He has just said goodbye to his parents and his twin sisters who are staying at Beauval Zoo. Well, six-year-old Yuan Meng is the offspring of Yuan Zhe and Huan Huan, the first panda pair loaned by China to France. That's your headline news update. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. And coming up in business, the IMF has raised its growth predictions for global growth. Looking for the hottest trends in China? Craving captivating podcasts and stories from our reporters? Get in the know and follow CGTN Radio on Twitter and stay informed. We're at 36 past the hour now, turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland. Finish lower on Wednesday. Uh, Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index shed about a quarter of 1%, and we saw the Shenzhen component down uh, half of 1%. Profit-taking so soon after the relief rally sparked by the Politburo's announcement of support for the economy does uh, indicate that sentiment on the A-share markets uh, is still fragile. Real estate stocks continue to gain ground, though, because investors are anticipating more support for the housing market, possibly including uh, mortgage rate and down payment adjustments. Uh, we saw home builders Gemdale and Season each add around 3%. Battery giant CATL uh, also managed to turn losses around after recording uh, slower second quarter profit growth. Now, the world's biggest EV battery maker is contending uh, with growing competition in the sector. Uh, Q2 profit growth was still uh, 63%, which uh, still sounds fairly solid, but it's a big slowdown from the almost 560% growth that it recorded in the first quarter of the year. We saw uh, CATL stocks were down uh, 1.2% in early trade, but they did bounce after a Citigroup said that the stock is still its top pick for the sector, uh, and it did close uh, in the end slightly higher. Now is market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down around four-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei also dipped a little. The International Monetary Fund has raised its 2023 global growth prediction. In terms of inflation, the IMF also expects an improvement from last year. Sean Caleb's has more. It's a modest economic improvement, but the key takeaway, the International Monetary Fund says the global financial situation is getting better. The IMF is raising its world economic outlook for this year, now saying that it expects global growth 
to creep up to about 3%. That is an increase of two-tenths of a percent since the IMF's last forecast in April. The United States economy is expected to grow at about 1.8%, and while that may sound tepid, that growth rate is about average for developed nations. However, that is still far below historical results. And in 2024, the IMF expected the U.S. to grow at about 1%. The agency says this new information shows the global economy is gradually recovering from the prolonged damage caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and the shock to the system from the fighting between Russia and Ukraine that is threatening worldwide food security. Globally, inflation is also improving, in large part to the actions from the United States and other nations, as central banks have repeatedly raised interest rates and food and energy prices continue to drop. That was Sean Caleb's reporting. The IMF report also says growth in emerging markets and developing economies is projected to remain stable at 4% in 2023 and 4.1% next year. China's forecast remains unchanged at 5.2% for this year and 4.5% for next, though the compositions change because of a real estate downturn impacting investment. Growth in emerging and developing Asia is set to rise to 5.3% in 2023 then moderate to 5% next year. The Iranian Central Bank says the country will continue to pursue de-dollarization to avert impacts from sanctions. Deputy Governor Mohsen Karimi says regional countries have seen the need for an accelerated move away from the dollar in recent years. The purpose of the ACU alliance is to get the most out of the nation's own currencies, that is, reducing the dependence on and demand for international currencies in order to reduce their harm to member countries and regional economies. Many countries faced restrictions using currencies such as US dollars and euros in recent years. The impetus of these countries to revive the alliance has thus increased. The Asian Clearing Union, a Tehran-based regional clearinghouse with uh, nine member countries, announced that it would launch an alternative to the heavily U.S.-influenced SWIFT system. Karimi also says ACU members agreed to customize a dedicated banking system to cover all currency clearing transactions, uh, uh, transaction needs rather between member states. Japan's core inflation has been above the central bank's 2% target for 15 consecutive months now. However, the moderation of CPI growth may suggest a slowdown. Terence Terashima has more in Tokyo. For two consecutive years, price hikes have burdened Japanese consumers. According to a survey by credit research firm Teikoku Data Bank, the number of food items facing price hikes in the first 10 months of 2023 reached more than 29,000 items. Price hikes in Japan expected to continue putting pressures on the household. Consumers worry how long this will continue without prospects for a raise in wages. Japan's consumer price index from May stood at 3.2% in key consumer prices, excluding fresh food, dampening household spending, falling by 4.0% year-on-year in May. I don't expect to see my wages to rise anytime soon, but at the other hand, the cost of living is going up and land prices around here are soaring. We were thinking of moving to a bigger house as our children grow, but the prospect is slim. 
In order to raise wages, I think prices must rise to some extent to achieve a virtuous economic circle. But I think the biggest problem is that the Bank of Japan's policies have failed for the last 10 years, having no interest rates all these years. The market is closely watching June inflation data, expected to show growth of 3.3 percent, largely on the impact of higher electricity prices. There is speculation the central bank may adjust its control of government bond yields in part due to rising price pressures. The Japanese stock market is in bullish territory, the Nikkei 225 index rising to a 33-year high, helped by strong interest from foreign investors. From about the first week of April to the first week of June, foreign investors have been the night buyers of Japanese stocks for 10 consecutive weeks, a net purchase of over 7 trillion yen. Analysts say the interest from foreign investors is largely on undervalued stocks supported by the weaker yen. Investments eased slightly recently, but interest in the Japanese market is expected to continue. Foreign investors' interest on Japanese stocks is not transient, but expected to continue. I think we will see strong appetite for Japanese stocks from autumn once again. Experts say with the increased interest from foreign investments, we could see changes in the price-to-book ratio of many Japanese companies. That was Terence Terashima reporting. Amidst the ever-competitive job market, it's not uncommon for individuals to start a side hustle as a means of supplementing their incomes. Well, this trend is caught on among young people in China, Shui reports. Side hustles have become increasingly popular over the past few years, with half of millennials in their 30s reporting that they have taken up a gig alongside their full-time job, as per a recent report by Peking University and Jobin.com. The report found that over 54% of individuals born after 2000 have also engaged in side hustles. If you open some popular social media platforms, including like Redbook or Douban, you can see there are thousands of young people updating and sharing their experiences of their side jobs. Liu Xiaobai is one of them, a successful example of a young professional engaging in a lucrative side hustle. While working as a quantitative investment analyst in a fund management firm, Liu has also been utilizing her social media presence to establish herself as a financial influencer for nearly two years. The pandemic-induced work-from-home periods gave me the opportunity to start a side hustle, and I've been able to grow it to the point where it now generates nearly as much income as my full-time job. What's even better is that my side business has actually had a positive impact on my main job. It's been a positive circle. My side hustle has brought me not only financial benefits, but also opportunities to expand my social network and enrich my life. According to Jin Yuchen, an experienced part-timer with expertise in diverse fields such as education, finance and art performance, passion is the primary motivator for individuals looking to start a side business. Young people want to focus on their passions because they know that they can only differentiate themselves from their peers if they follow their passion. And differentiation is how you succeed. And young people are really well informed. They know what industries have bright futures. And two, we're seeing many new platforms being built as a result of the mobile internet revolution, allowing these young people to monetize their products, allowing them to become freelancers and become successful. 
However, experts caution that part-timers should be vigilant about the legal risks involved and called on regulatory bodies to step up their monitoring and control in order to encourage more young people to explore new opportunities. That was Shui reporting. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Japan and Spain advance to the round of 16 at the Women's World Cup. Starting from Friday, the Chinese city of Chengdu will be the home to the World University Games, a competition that has witnessed the starting chapters of many legendary athletes in history. What will be the highlights in Chengdu? Who will stand out as the leaders of the next generation of stars? Join our discussions this week on the Sideline Story podcast and discover the unique sports world of student athletes. Now 47 past the hour now, turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. At the FIFA Women's World Cup, Japan and Spain became the first two teams to secure last 16 berths after respective wins in Group C. Former champion Japan beat Costa Rica 2-0 with a couple of first-half goals to clinch its second win. Spain followed suit in the group stage after a 5-0 thrashing against Zambia. The two teams will meet on Monday with the top spot of the group up for grabs. Players of the Chinese women's football team say they have moved on from their defeat in the opening game of the World Cup and will show their best form in their second group match against Haiti. China, which has never missed knockout stage of a women's World Cup, resumed their training in Adelaide after a one-year loss to Denmark. Captain Wang Shanshan says the team is still confident about progressing to last 16. Losing the first match doesn't mean we cannot go through to the next round, because we lost two openers in 2019 and 2015, but we still reached the next round. So the next two games are very important to us now. Haiti, participating in the World Cup for the first time, fell 1-0 to reigning European champions England in the first round. Lionel Messi is impressing American football fans as he scored two more goals and set up two others to lead Inter Miami to a 4-0 dismantling of Atlanta United in the League's Cup. After coming off the bench to score a dramatic game winner in his debut last week, the World Cup champion wasted no time in his first start with MLS side. With the two victories, Inter Miami has advanced to the knockout stage of the tournament. Organizers have shown the Olympic torch for the Paris 2024 Olympics for the first time under Ray Vassain as Paris marked the one-year countdown to the Games opening ceremony. French athletes and the Paris 2024 officials celebrated the moment with the surprise presence of multiple Olympic champion Usain Bolt. Paris 2024 president Tony Istange says the Games will offer a great atmosphere for athletes and spectators next year. It is really amazing that Paris will hold the Summer Olympics again after 100 years. We are now standing at a critical site in this organization effort because the opening ceremony will be held on the banks of the Seine. We are ready and the preparations are going well. We very much look forward to seeing you at the Olympics. Meantime, IOC President Thomas Bach went for a tour of the Athletes' Village. Situated north of the city, the village will welcome over 14,000 athletes and staff members next year. For the athletes, this will be a moment that they will always remember. Imagine being received by the French people, all the spectators here, on the banks, and along the River Seine. 
This will be something that everybody will enjoy and never forget. The athletes' flats will have cooling systems running through the floors to ensure athletes don't suffer from the high temperatures and the heat waves in summer. In swimming, American superstar Katie Ledecky claimed her fifth 1500-meter freestyle title at World Aquatics Championships. The 26-year-old, who won the event for the first time 10 years ago in Barcelona, led all the way from start to finish. China's Li Bingjie took bronze medal. I'm satisfied with my performance. I swam according to my own rhythm in the first half, and in the last 200 meters, I saw the third-place swimmer. So I thought I could try to catch up. I still need to improve in all aspects, especially mentally, as the 1,500 meters is an event that tests the will. So I need to get better. Rio Olympic champion Ryan Murphy claimed the men's 100-meter backstroke title. China's Xu Jiayu, the event's winner at the 2017 and 2019 Worlds, came in fourth. Elsewhere, compatriot Qin Haiyang was on track to win his second breaststroke title after leading the field into the men's 50-meter final. Qin clocked the fastest time of the semifinals in 26.2 seconds, a new Asian record. He claimed the 100-meter title on Monday. The Chinese men's national basketball team suffered a narrow 75-73 loss to Slovenia in its first warm-up game for the upcoming FIBA World Cup. China was up by five at halftime, but Slovenia turned the tide with a 10-0 run in the fourth quarter. Center Zhou Qi posted a team-high 16 points with nine rebounds. China was missing naturalized forward Li Kaier, who is expected to join the team ahead of the World Cup, while Slovenia was playing with the absence of Luka Doncic. Bronny James, the oldest son of NBA superstar LeBron James, is in stable condition in hospital after going into cardiac arrest while participating in a practice at the University of Southern California. Medical staff treated 18-year-old James on quotes. A family statement says the teenager is no longer in intensive care. Bronny James, one of the U.S. top high school prospects, announced in May that he will play college basketball for the Trojans. A diagnosis of cardiac disease could end his professional career. And finally, the Boston Celtics have answered their most pressing question of the off-season as the franchise has capped Jalen Brown with the richest contract in NBA history. Brown has agreed to terms on a five-year supermax contract extension that will pay him over 300 million U.S. dollars. It surpassed the deal signed by Nuggets center Nikola Jokic last summer as the biggest NBA contract. Boston drafted Brown third overall in 2016, and he averaged a career-high 26.6 points last season. Thank you very much.、Uh, that was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture, the mascot of the World University Games in Chengdu celebrates Chinese culture. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 54 past the hour now. In culture and entertainment for this year's Chengdu World University Games, designers have created diverse clothing to outfit a unique mascot, Rongbao, incorporating elements from Chinese culture. Liu Yang has the story. 
Who doesn't love a mascot? From the embroidered hibiscus totem to the jade pendant, the clothing design incorporates thousands of years of Chinese culture, endowing this mascot with unique Chinese fashion elements. Wang Yuanyuan is one of the costume designers. Her design is inspired by the unique symbols of Chengdu, snow mountains and hibiscus, showcasing the harmony between the city and the nature. Of course, there's also inspiration from artworks from different countries. We selected fabrics with contrasting colors, buckles, pattern designs, and hemming stripe designs to achieve harmony and aesthetics for the clothes. Designing Rongbao has also been a very emotional experience for me. I was a former junior table tennis player, and when I received this design project, I was eager to incorporate my childhood memories and blessings for the Chengdu Universiate into the design. These characteristic clothing pieces combine the university's fashion, youth and vitality design concepts. The designer has hopes for future designs. I hope that in the future, all the embroidery and brocade fabrics on the clothes will be hand-embroidered, and intangible cultural heritage techniques will be used to recreate a textile. The Chinese cultural heritage techniques on the clothing involve filigree and hand-polished jade pieces. Since 2021, designers have created more than 30 sets of clothing across three series for Rongbao, of which 11 are currently available. We have three design plans, one incorporating intangible cultural heritage as one of the elements, the second focusing on fashionable design, and the third catering to youth. The designers aim to use university's global platform to promote understanding of China and its culture, echoing the event's slogan, Chengdu makes dreams come true. That was Liu Yang on the uh, clothing design of the Chengdu World University Games mascot. Well, Venice has presented a powerful lineup for its forthcoming film festival, Defying Fears. Its 80th edition would be a bit of a washout because of strikes by Hollywood actors and writers. Uh, films competing for this year's Golden Lion Award include Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, Luc Besson's Dogman, and uh, Michael Mann's Ferrari. Netflix has a good presence at this year's event, with David Fincher's The Killer and Bradley Cooper's directorial debut Maestro also joining the contest. Italian movie Commandant Dant uh, will replace Challengers to open the film festival on August 30th. Uh, Challengers, starring Zendaya, will skip a Venice premiere because of the strike that's uh, impacting Hollywood. Shizung filmmaker Perna Tassidin's posthumous work Snow Leopard will premiere at this year's uh, Venice Film Festival. <laughs> A film will screen out of competition. Snow Leopard centers on an argument between a father and a son after a, a snow leopard kills nine of the family's rams. The father insists on releasing the animal, but the son wants to kill it. The Tibetan language film marks the last work of uh, Pima Tassidin before he died of heart failure in May. His Jean Pa won the Best Screenplay Award at Venice back in 2018. Universal Pictures has announced that Christopher Nolan's new film Oppenheimer will hit screens on the Chinese mainland on August 30th. We're in a race against the Nazis. The feature uh, documentary follows J. Robert Oppenheimer as he invents and tests the first nuclear weapons under the Manhattan Project. The design that he came up with was later used to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan.
We're at 58 past the hour now. Beijing's at uh, 25 overnight tomorrow. Thunder showers and a high of 32. Chongqing will be 26 this evening. Then heavy rainfall in 30. Lasts down to 12 degrees. Then a slight rain in 21. Hong Kong's at 28 this evening. Uh, showers tomorrow in 34. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 26 overnight. It'll be sunny and 35 degrees on Thursday. Islamabad will get a slight rainfall in 24 degrees this evening. The rain continues with the high of 33 on Thursday. Uh, Bangkok's 26 tonight, then a slight rain in 34. In Africa, Nairobi's getting a slight rain in 22. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China wants to work with other members of the BRICS group to address global security challenges and tackle other issues. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.